Yes, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast, where we've got plenty to get into this week because we're coming off the back of that derby victory at Celtic Park on Saturday to put the hoops 12 points clear at the top of the table. We're going to get right in amongst it and look back on that 3-2 victory. And as ever, to do so, we are joined by our Celtic View editor, Paul Cuddehy. Paul, I imagine you were bouncing into the office after that Easter weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of my, my favourite 3-2 games that we didn't actually win, uh, <laughs> bizarrely enough. But um, no, it was great. It was great, uh, great win. As you say, 12 points clear at the top of the table. Um, so seven games to go and, you know, we're certainly, we're almost there. We are almost there, we are. Um, we're going to have a full review of the game on Saturday. We're also going to look ahead to the next match for the first team, which is away to Kilmarnock on Sunday. Plus, there is all the B team and women's team reaction and previews. It's a big week for the women's team as well. We're going to be playing Glasgow City at the weekend. Um, and our next podcast interview is going to be with Steve Guppy. So we're going to give you a snippet of that, which is actually really interesting because he was Alistair Johnson's last coach before he came over to, to Celtic, uh, sorry, when he was at Nashville, so two clubs before Celtic, so it's really, really interesting, but one place to start, Paul. Saturday, 3-2 at Celtic Park against Rangers. We're sitting here a few days after. How do you reflect on it at this moment in time? I think we, well, I mean, every time we spoke about it last week, any time you win a derby game, it's great, whether it's a comprehensive uh, victory or whether the scoreline's tighter, it's always brilliant to win. We thoroughly deserved it, you know, under however you want to, to talk about it. We had the better possession, we had the better chances, we scored three goals. So, you know, it is an interesting narrative that's come out after it, but I, I don't think that really concerns us. I think anybody who watched the game, um, I, th I think would have seen that the best team won. And, you know, I, th I think it's a bit like, you know, there's teams that will come to Celtic Park and, you know, they maybe they're anticipating a heavy defeat and, and it doesn't quite work out like that. So the narrative after was as if they did really well, but the reality is that, you know, Celtic still won the game and still dominate. And it's just that maybe they didn't, we didn't score as many goals as they thought, but you know I think it was a confident victory um, and thoroughly deserved. By our own high standards, from what we've set throughout the season, it probably wasn't our most complete performance from what we've seen at other parts of the season. However, that doesn't mean that we played poorly, and it doesn't mean that this whole narrative, as you're mentioning, which we knew was going to be the case anyway, that you know, one team's now closer or whatever. We just, we weren't completely at it, but we were still by far the better team. I think when you look back at the game, the chances that we created were all through our own good football and our good movement and opening spaces. And the only chances that Rangers really had in the game were for obviously score from the, the free kick and then maybe from a couple of little errors from ourselves. But in the piece, 3-2, we were the better team and maybe that's not what's getting communicated now in the, the days after it but when you look back at, if we go through the goals then starting off even that first sort of 20 minutes in the game where it was a little bit tight we weren't really finding our passing angles as well but we've got so many quality players in our team 
and when Kyogo gets opportunities, he scores them. We've seen it since he started, since he joined the club. He seems to be getting more and more clinical to the point that when he missed a chance the weekend before um, against Ross County, it's this big, massive thing because you don't expect to see it that often. But, I mean, just a word on Kyogo, just how how good is he when he gets in those situations? Well, I mean, that's, what's that, five goals in his yeah. last three derby games? I think, you know, when you watch him, throughout the course of the, the 90 minutes or for however long he stays on, his, his movement is just incredible with or without the ball. I think he puts pressure on the opposition back line, so they're never quite sure where, where he is, but they know he's near. So it, it forces them into to be a bit more rash in terms of their distribution. I think he makes so many runs and the ball doesn't come to him, but he, he's, his head never goes down, he never moans, he just goes back in, makes the next run, makes the next run. And then when he's in and around the box, and any time you watch his goals, there's just these slight, you know, movements so that he finds that wee half yard of, of space. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether, how much of that you can teach or whether it's just mm-hmm. something instinctive that there's times in and around the penalty area you think, how does he know that's where he should be or where, you know, he's going to get the ball there? I think for the first goal, uh, Matt O'Reilly needs to take a lot of credit because his first touch to take him just beyond the Rangers defence was exceptional. And I, I, I don't know how many assists he's had this season. I think a lot of, of our goals come from him, his creativity. And again, maybe that goes under the radar a wee bit, but um, it was a wonderful, you know, obviously to, to that first touch, but then also to be able to cut the ball back. And again, I think the Celtic players know we put it into those spaces and is going to be there, but to, to almost like control it and spin in the one movement and score was superb. But, you know, he's, he, he's just... Uh, in, you know, exceptional striker. That just highlights what's worked on in training, that goal where Matt O'Reilly probably doesn't even need to get his head up. He knows exactly the position to put it and Kyogo knows exactly the position that Matt O'Reilly is going to, to put it. That is something that you can train and that's what you can practice on and that's what the manager does. And that's why we are the dominant team in Scotland because we get all of those little intricacies spot on in the game. People could just look at it and go, oh, he's lucky that he's put the ball in there and Kyogo's there. It's not the case at all. That has worked on every single day in training. And for Kyogo, he doesn't even look at the goal. He knows exactly where it is. He knows exactly where he's going to put the ball. He needs to get his touch right and he knows to get out his feet and where to put it. It's just, I think it's such a brilliant goal and it just is exemplifies what's so good about us in that attacking area. Well, it's interesting that the manager... The last time we spoke to him for the Celtic View, um, and I was asking him about Kyogo, just as a player that he would have seen playing against them when he was over in Japan, and, and obviously, you know, made a mental note of how good he was. And he, he said, you know, even if you're telling your own defenders, you know, they're, they're aware of his danger, they know what he can do. He said, even when they're coming in afterwards, and they're like, there's nothing we could do because his movement's so good. And even the goal that he scored that was offside. It was just his movement to find that space and, and again it gives Alistair Johnson that option. Wonderful through ball and again he, he just takes it one touch and it's already in the back of the net. And I think even if defenders know he's the danger man, but his movement is such that it's so difficult because if you try and follow him, then you're, you're just leaving space for someone else to come into. If you try and hold the space, Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. So it must be an absolute nightmare. It'd be interesting to to speak to some of the defenders that face him because I'm sure it's with uh, some trepidation when they're playing him. Because even with that 
first goal, he only really gets a half a yard to a yard. He doesn't get that much space at all, but that is all he needs. So if you're a defender, you don't know what to do against him because when Ben Seacrest was on our live podcast a couple of weeks ago, he was saying before he signed for Celtic, he was, he was coming up against us and being like, I don't understand how they do this. Like, their players are constantly standing offside and, you know, all these different things. And it's not until he's come in and he's, he's realised why we do it and, and how we do it. But for, for Kyogo, he's a type of player that he probably doesn't have, he probably has the least amount of touches out of all the Celtic players in the team. But he knows that he's just going to get that that one chance and that half a yard and that's all he needs. But you see some strikers probably around Europe that they might play that way and they start then coming deeper, trying to search for the ball, trying to get involved. He trusts himself and he trusts his teammates that they're always going to find him in that one moment and it's up to him to make the difference and he does it. And then even when you look at his second goal as well, there's a bit of fortune involved in the fact that uh, the Rangers player doesn't deal with it. However, that comes down from our pressure and it also highlights Kyogo still knows where to be. He could have been at the back post, but no, he knows to be at the front post there because that's where the danger is, that's where the ball is. He needs to be reactive and he does so. And he's just, he run out of superlatives for him. Yeah, I mean, I think all three of the goals, even the, the, the third goal, um, you know, obviously Jota finishes, but I think if you then see from behind the goal, the way he's moving to anticipate you know, if John Suter decides to try and play it across to the right back rather than playing it back to the goalkeeper. And I think, you know, we always talk about uh, Kyogo in terms of what he does offensively for us, but I think he's a key player in terms of our defensive. You know, you'll hear the manager talking about everybody. In fact, you'll hear the players talking about how everybody has to defend as well as everybody has to attack, and that starts from the front. And, you know, when you have our forward players in the way that they'll press the ball when, when we don't have it, it's so important because it, it just gives the opposition so little time and more often than not they're forced to play it long, we win the ball back. And yeah, I mean, I think his two goals, the second one so instinctive, you know, didn't even take. And he was unlucky not long after after that, he had another shot that was blocked. We were looking for him to score yeah. a hat-trick. And, and again, the, the second goal was, you know, great play from, from Jota. I, I, again, I know the narrative afterwards was, <laughs> regardless of how many replays that he saw that in fact didn't hit his, his hand that... that you know, people were oh, still people were still uh, allowing that to to continue. But um, you know, I thought he had a fine game as well, and, and obviously his his goal, which was a really really difficult finish, but uh, was was another great mm. goal. Probably using the word narrative quite a lot in this, but the, the narrative after the game as well is that um, the Rangers manager was talking about basically how they just need to get rid of some of the individual errors in their game, and basically they would have been on a par with us. Looking at the third goal, from our point of view, yes, it's individual errors from, from Rangers, but again, that comes down to our pressure. Alistair Johnson's pushing up on the right-hand side, that brings the ball into the, the middle, into the John Suter. And you look at it and he's getting pressed by two players either side of him. So he has to play the ball back to the keeper in a rush, otherwise we're going to nick the ball off of him. And that's what forces the individual errors. And then... Jota's there, he, he knows to anticipate that. And again, that, that comes down to what we work on every day in training, and that then comes into fruition. And I mean, it was a brilliant goal. I, I loved the fact that he then shared the, the clip of comparing his goal with, with Larson's at Ibrooks and, and Henrik 
shared it as well and uh, it was a, a, a pleasing goal all round just seeing Jota running onto the ball as the goalkeeper Alan McGregor was just not getting there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, see, I think regardless, I think Celtic fans, regardless of whatever narrative happens post-match, the reality is, um, you know, we won the game 3-2. You know, I think, you know, that's the very definition of winning, that you score more goals in the opposition. We were the better team, as we said. So, you know, whatever the chat is elsewhere, I think you'll not really hear anything from the players. You know, even even immediately after the game, when Celtic TV spoke to Callum McGregor, you know, it was really measured and it was, yeah, we'll enjoy the game, but we're back in on Monday because we've got Kilmarnock at the weekend. And, you know, that's the reason why we're in that position because nobody's nobody would have been coming into Lennox Town yesterday getting carried away. It would have been right back to work. That game's gone because we've got some really important games coming up and you know other you know the chat can be elsewhere with about all sorts of other things um there are obviously some concerning aspects post match of it um which i think is you know is really concerning in this i suppose this day of of social media how things can can escalate in a you know in a terrible way you know in this case for for the kevin clancy in terms of you know threats issued to him and his family and stuff like that which is just uh, shocking um but I think Celtic would just take the points and we move on. Mm-hmm. We do indeed. Um, in terms of some of the other individual performances, there was a couple that I just wanted to to highlight. I think Alistair Johnson, that was his first experience of a derby at Celtic Park. He's, he's completed a trio now at Hamden, Ibrooks and, and Celtic Park. And he just seems to keep growing and growing with every game. And you can just tell watching him he looks like the type of player, and he said it afterwards as well to Celtic TV, he lives for those games where he needs to get stuck in and he showed it again. Yeah, but I mean, I think he's I think he's a physical player, but in a really fair way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, you know, the way that, obviously, not, not me now, I'm past my prime, but like, just if you just put a, a fan with a Celtic strip and put them into a game like that, they'd be flying into tackles, really ill-disciplined. I think he's, he's defensive. Play is really disciplined. Uh, I think he must be a player that other you know opposition don't like to come up against because it's difficult to get past them. They know there's a physical battle that the chances are they're going to lose, and then you give them the ball and create you know creatively. You mentioned the third goal. He also set up the the offside goal for Kyogo, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was really I thought it was really good actually that you know Kyogo obviously we spoke about he scored the two goals. He was exceptional, but you know sometimes maybe one of the unsung heroes in a way. And Alistair Johnson was given man of the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for an outstanding performance at right back, and he's just, you know, he's just fitted in seamlessly. But I think that's the benefit of having been able to train and work with the players before he actually starts being able to play in January. So he was already up to speed, and he's just, you can just tell he's he's loving life at, at Celtic. Oh, massively, and it's just incredible the track record that we've had with our players that we've brought in since the manager yeah. has come into the club has been exceptional because you look at January, you lose two big players for us in Juranovic and, and Yakimakis who were who were brilliant for us, they were incredible. But you're not sitting here at this moment in time thinking you're really, really missing both of those players because we have recruited so well and we're always forward planning, we're forward thinking, we're always looking to the next transfer window, who can we bring in? And being really progressive in that front, and that's now shown on the park, which is amazing. Um, it's also worth saying 
that you know Alistair Johnson was also fouled. You know, it may, people might think it's a soft foul, but you know, yeah. you look at it, you look at it again. There's a kind of tug in the jersey and a push. Now, whether it's a hard push or a soft push, still a push. Mm-hmm. So the, the referee makes that judgment call, and I th- as I say, I think the the reaction to that has been to say it's been out of proportion. Is, I think is an understatement. Yeah, I mean, if you put if you if you're looking at it, and one thing I, I think that what VER has, has done is we start looking at things in slow motion and freeze frames, which I don't really enjoy as much because football's not played like that. However, when you do look at that clip and you do slow it down, you can see Morelos has his arms bent, two hands on, which are then which then extend fully and lock out, which, which Alistair Johnson then goes over. So to say it's not a push and it's definitely not a foul, I mean... The referees made the call there and then. He believes it's a foul. For VAR, they're not then going to have a look at that and think, oh, well, that's, that's, that's not a clear and obvious error. You know? Know? Most it's times, it, you've, you've seen them, and you see it all the time in games, every single week, well, you know, from free kicks or corners where the ball goes in, the referee blows a foul at first, whether the players look a bit bemused and the, the fans are thinking, what was that? And it might be a soft yeah. foul, it might be a... You know, the VR only reviews these things if it's a clear and obvious error. So they've looked at it, they've seen where the referee is. He sees the push and and makes the call, and that's it. You move on, and you know that that, that should be the end of the matter. Yeah, hundred um, percent. In terms of another performance, I wanted to to mention. I mean, there was there was lots. I mean, Joe Hart made a big save at the start of the second half as well. He needs to be given credit for that and for his overall display. But the captain, Cal McGregor, again, he's another player who you almost run out of superlatives for. And to see his progression as a player from when he started and he's playing like right wing, left wing, and, and now in this position he's in now, and the leader that he is, I think he showed his leadership qualities again on Saturday because for much of that opening 20 minutes, you could see from him just play... They were trying to stop the ball going into him to Callum, but he's such a good player that you can't keep him quiet for that long. And eventually, he starts getting the ball, he starts dictating play. And I just think the energy that he brings, he's one of those players that he actually looks faster when he gets the ball, that he can break through the lines. And he's such an important player for us. And I feel like he's just getting better and better. And it's just a joy to have someone like him as your captain. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, to the way it goes back to what you were saying earlier on about, you know, when Ben Seacrest played against Celtic and he's thinking, how did he do that? When we were watching the game on Saturday and you could see, as you say, what Rangers were trying to do in, ter- in terms of stopping the supply to Cal McGregor because he's the kind of the metronome of how we play. But you, then you looked and we were saying that's going to be a difficult shift for, for the Rangers players to keep that up for 90 minutes because you know this Celtic team gets stronger and stronger as the game goes. So you have to match that for the 90 minutes. And after a certain period, you started to see that it was hard for them to continue that press. And that's when Callum McGregor, he was finding the space. He was always looking to find the space. And then he was just dictating, you know, whether it's dictating it with the ball, whether he's organising. I think it was after, it might even have been after the the first goal we scored, immediately he's over having a conversation with the manager and John Kennedy about something. And then he was on and passing on some some tactics or, or things that he'd seen in the game, which I think, again, the manager's spoken before about how he's looking for the players to find these solutions to anything in, in the game because he can't obviously go in the park and, and organise that. 
he also relishes the, the physical side of things. Mm. If you know, there was one point in the second half where I think about three Rangers players, it, you know, he won the ball against the three of them, um, and those I think afterwards, uh, John Ledworth had said to him that was his kind of Bruni moment, as we've you know seen him relishing that. So he he has everything, and he's such a a key player. But again, um, never gets carried away, and immediately after the game brings everything back down to to earth and say right. We've won that game, but come on up then. Yeah, it does allow us to get a bit carried away though, doesn't it? Because we are now 12 points clear with seven games left to go. So, it's obviously not won yet. And that's the message that's coming from inside the camp and the first team and the manager afterwards as well. Enjoyed his interview with uh, the BBC after the game. But he asked him, is that it done? He said, well, I'm not sitting here with a trophy, am I? So... But for, from our point of view, we can kind of start looking at it and start enjoying what's to come for the rest of this season. And you are starting to kind of now think, right, when can we win the league? And you're starting to kind of count it down. I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but as fans, that's what we're going to start thinking about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was such a, an important game because obviously if we, if we hadn't won it at the weekend, then suddenly it's six points with seven games to go. We've still got to go to Ibrox and... and then they'd be kind of thinking that you know will we hold our nerve but I, I don't think there's ever any doubt that we will it's it's a really for a team when you think of the you know we've won every single game that we've played at home this season you know St Murna the only team that have taken three points off us uh, mm-hmm. domestically this season so you you know if you're if you're the chasing but we're not the chasing pack if you're if you're Rangers and you know you're looking for any slip up you can't see it because you know, whoever we're playing, and it's partly to get back again to that whole thing about, you know, just focusing the next game. It's that approach that has, you know, the, the players are, you know, the players won't be allowed to look forward to say when can we win it because that's the that's the surest way to take your eye off the ball. And I think because of the, the strength of the squad as well, I think the players know that they they have to just stay in the moment because otherwise somebody will be taking their place. So yeah, we are in a, a really really strong position. And, you know, as I say, as fans, we can start to, to look ahead. But I think the thing is, because of the way the split works, until the final top six positions are, are kind of sealed and set, then we don't know who we're playing, when we're playing, and if we're playing home and away. So, um, which will, will be interesting as well. But, yeah, I mean, to, to be 12 points clear with seven games to go is, is brilliant. It's incredible. We've played 31 games. I think we've got 88 points. We've only dropped five points this season, that is the most points that any team has ever achieved up until this point, as you mentioned, we're undefeated, we've won every game at home, sorry, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. We're every game at home. This team could go on and get 109 points this season. Whether we get that or whether we don't get that, it's going to be over the 100 point mark, you would think. I mean, this team could go on and break records and if they do that, maybe they don't even have to do that. This team, I think, when we look back on it in years to come, it's going to sit up there in that sort of pantheon of modern great Celtic teams, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I think one of the key things to that is the fact, it's it's not just the fact that we're so dominant, because there has been other seasons where we've, we've dominated, it's actually the type of football we're playing. I think the reason that people will always remember Andrew's teams in years and years to come is because, you know, 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years' time when people are talking about it, you'll have a smile on your face because you'll remember the games, you'll remember the football, you'll remember the players playing football, as we would say, the Celtic way of just exciting the fans, trying to play in a certain style of football. And that's, I think, you can, I mean, you can see it from the, the way that the fans react to it. It's, it's just brilliant to watch. It's so enjoyable going to games and, and watching us play because we're seeing some great players playing a great brand of football. And I think that's, you know, the fact that we have a structure and a style of play, I think, it, you know, I think it helped on Saturday where, you know, you, your point maybe we weren't, it wasn't the, you know, the, the most sparkling performance. But the players all know their job within that system. And so I think that helps, you know, whatever happens in the course of the game. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, where they should be and what we should be doing. And it's, it's uh, I mean, it is, it is wonderful to watch. It's really interesting because we could end up having a better season than the invincible treble season in terms of points amassed. We could win all three trophies as well. But because you've lost the one game, then people might not look at it in the same breadth. But in actual fact, I think the fact that we, we did lose that game to St Mirren has almost taken a lot of that chat and conversation about points records and things because when you were going in that unbeaten season, it was every game, it was like, you can't slip up, you can't slip up, you've got that pressure and that pressure. But then this team could actually potentially go on and break the record of Brendan Rodgers' team of 106 points, which would just be, I don't think that would ever be surpassed if you, if there was to get 109 points. Um, unless you won every single game. Unless you won every, well, that would be the challenge next season. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I, think each, I think each season has to stand on its own merits. I mean, I think that invincible season and, and how they went about it and what happened and, you know, obviously it culminates with Tom Rogic scoring at Hamden the last minute. That's always going to be a special moment and a special season for everyone. So that stands on its own merits mm -hmm. for, for, for what everybody who was there at the time achieved. And, and last season and this season and hopefully many more under Ange, they'll stand on their own as well. Yeah. And you just enjoy, you enjoy it in the moment and you don't... You don't know, it's compare. A bit like, yeah, it's a bit yeah. like comparing past players to... You know, people will always have their favourites, their favourite games and their players, etc. For, for a whole variety of reasons. But you also just enjoy... You know, every, every Celtic fan is just enjoying, loving what they're seeing just now. And... You know that long may that continue. Yes, indeed. Just the last thing on the game, eh, I just wanted to ask you what you thought of the occasion on Saturday because there was no away fans there. It was sixty thousand Celtic fans. It's strange when Rangers did score and there's just this complete silence in the ground. But then you come away with a victory and just seeing sixty thousand Celtic fans doing huddle during the match and bouncing about afterwards. Uh, was was a brilliant sight and a brilliant sound, but what did you make of the occasion? I I, I mean I think as a fan I, I would I would rather it went back to to the way it had been before. Um, I don't I'm not sure is it Odson Edward were blaming for that for scoring that goal yes, for the ten minutes. That was the last game, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah. It was his, it's all Odson's fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I preferred I, I I think it would be better as a, a as a derby as an occasion to, an edge to. Um, if if we went back to getting the eight thousand at Brimley Road and and correspondingly we we have eight thousand Rangers fans in here, I know I, I know there's arguments on both sides because then it's like obviously there's an eight thousand Celtic fans that get to to come here mm -hmm. for for the derby game that they wouldn't otherwise. But I just think in terms of the edge of the game and obviously it means a lot 
to the clubs, the fans, the city. But I, I think that I, in an ideal world, I can't see that happening because I think there has to be a compromise uh, elsewhere that I, I can't see happening. But I, I think it would be it would be better because um, yeah. obviously there's it, there's a different atmosphere. We saw it in the League Cup final. We'll see it again in the Scottish Cup semi final at Hamden, and it's a it's an actually it's a fifty fifty split at Hamden, which obviously isn't the best stadium in terms of these things. But yeah, I mean it was it was amazing. I mean it was it was brilliant. You know from from the whole build up and as you say at the end of the game, the atmosphere was was amazing. Um, so I, I mean it's a small point because he's yeah. still as long as you win it doesn't really matter. Exactly. I would agree with everything you say there. Um, so that does lead us then on to Kilmarnock away on Sunday, uh, twelve o'clock kickoff at Rugby Park. So I suppose the the challenge now, which is what they've been doing all season, is just winning one big game and then going into another game and picking up another three points. Uh, won their five 0 earlier in the season. I think it was maybe the second or our third game, um, which was a, a brilliant game. Uh, some brilliant goals in that game as well. What do you think about going into this one? Kilmarnock obviously down towards the bottom of the table. They've really struggled away from home. However, their home form is what has given them a chance of staying up this season. So they'll probably look at this game as much as it's against us and thinking, we're at home, we might need to try and get something if we're going to stay in this league. Which, uh, just given what you've said, is for me is the clearest argument of why all the pitches should be grasped because I think it gives teams like Kilmarnock and Livingston an unfair advantage. Um, not necessarily against the, the better teams like of, of us. I never like playing on the artificial surface. I think it, it does change the whole complexion of the game. It does give the home side such an unfair advantage. But I think in terms of they may be playing against teams in and around where they are in the league. And I think the fact that, you know, if Kilmarnock aren't good enough, it, it, sh- it shouldn't be down to the, the artificial surface that helps them. Um, so I, I think in top flight Scottish football there should be no artificial surfaces mm-hmm. at all um, and I think it you know I th- I, what I think has been good the last couple of seasons you know we saw it at Livingston last season where we you know it was, it was a notoriously difficult ground for us and that's kind of changed a bit and I, I I think it goes back to you know we've heard the manager saying right from day one we know when he came in and he was having to build an absolutely new, new team no excuses. There was nothing he was going to give the players or he was going to offer as an excuse. We either win the game or we don't. And I think that's the same when we've been going to Rugby Park or going through to Livingston. It doesn't matter what the surface is. We just have to go out and win. And I think you've seen that. So the fact that we won 5 0 last time there, I think, tells you everything. Mm. Um, so you, you would expect us, especially with having a full week to, to recover and prepare. Which is good. Uh, you know, we'd expect three points. Rugby Park was a bit of a. That was like the, the bogey ground pre Livingston. It went from Kilmarnock to then they went out the league, and then it went to Livingston for a little while. Uh, so it's good that at the moment we don't really have any bogey grounds. You're not really. You're looking at you're looking at stadiums and venues and things, and you always think of Town Castle and think, oh, that's that'll be one of the tougher fixtures. But in this season, we won their four 0 in the the Scottish Cup and. We had that 4-3 game there, so we just keep batting all these old kind of bogey grounds away. Um, Rugby Park as a, as a venue, have you got any decent memories of games there? The one that really springs to mind for me is the game where we won 6-0 to win the league title in 2012. Yeah, 
2012, um, Neil Lennon's first league title, where we had three stands full of Celtic fans who played brilliant football on that day as well. Um, I remember being in that game and that was an amazing experience, but has anything ever come to mind for you? Probably the, well, the two, there was the one where Tom Rogic scored the, the yes. wonder goal, just, yeah. as, just as a moment of absolute beauty. Uh, and only somebody like Tom Rogic could score a goal like that. Um, was it the 2007 when Naka scored the course? course yeah. The free kick with almost the last kick of the ball. And I think, I know John, I think John Kennedy might have played in that game, but certainly, you know, that was quite emotional um, when he'd come back and, you know, after the, you know, doing the, the lap of honour after the game. And again, just a moment of. Nakamura magic, oh. to, you know. Obviously, he got caught up in the moment, taking his top off and everything. So <laughs> yeah, it was that was special. He always scored against Kilmarnock. He always scored at Rugby Park as well, um, and it was always free kicks every single time. I think if you look back and all of his his free kick goals for Celtic, probably the majority of them are at Rugby Park. Okay, I think it was like Alan Coombe who was a goalkeeper as well. I remember uh, John Hartson, I think, made made his debut there. And there was a moment, I can't remember if he might have come on as a sub, I just remember there was a moment down at the corner flag and the Kamarnock player, I don't know if he was trying to shepherd the ball out of play, and he was just right in front of the Celtic fans and John Hartson came in and just took him out. <laughs> and I don't know if that was just his way of like, trying to engrace himself with the fans and you're looking at it going, Ooh, I think you get booked for it. But, um, <laughs> Setting the tone. Yeah. And then obviously the, the 110 goals he scored for us after that was yeah, pretty decent. Not so. bad, yeah. Well, we'll get predictions then a little bit later on for, for that game, for the game against Kilmarnock away on Sunday. We're going to come back and have a full rundown on the B team and the women's team. But first of all, we're going to give you a little snippet of our next Celtic View podcast interview, which is with our former winger, Steve Guppy, who played alongside John Hartson and that team with Martin O'Neill. It was a really interesting chat looking back on his, his time at Celtic, but also interesting because of his connection with Alistair Johnson, because it's there that Steve Guppy is a coach at Nashville, and that's where Alistair Johnson once played his football. So he's got some good stories of working alongside him, and we're going to give you a little bit of that just now. I mentioned there, Steve, that you're now over in Nashville, I think that's a good place to start, just to let Celtic fans know what it is that you're doing nowadays. Yes, no, um, I mean, as a coach now, it's funny, you never know where this game's going to take you. Um, it's funny, the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years odd, I've, I've, I've found myself working um, in America, in the States, for a number of different teams. Um, and three years ago, uh, I was invited to come and join uh, the staff at uh, Nashville FC with a, a new club coming into the MLS. And I have to say, it's it's gone incredibly well. And um, here we are, all of a sudden, going into our our fourth season together. So you know, it's it's uh, it's been a great journey so far. Very exciting to be part of that early project of a new club. And what's very exciting for us to have you on is it gives us a chance to talk about. One Alistair Johnson, who you know all too well. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Alistair. Yeah, I mean, Alistair's obviously done incredibly well for himself and I'm really, really happy for him because he's actually a really nice lad and a good pro, which is, I guess, the most important thing. Um, yeah, we drafted him in, in the college. 
as they as they do over here in 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 the US. This college draft thing is is, is fairly important. And of course, because we were a new franchise, we were quite high up in the draft picks. So, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, research went into looking to, to get the best players out of college. Um, and in Alistair, we managed to do that. So that was that was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, just to, to talk about him, you know, there was a lad who came in and, and often these, these college players take a little bit of while to adapt. It's a big jump up, obviously, from college to MLS. But, um, you know, he had a bit of luck on his side where the couple of right backs who were more senior than him, uh, you know, fell out of favour or, or injuries for a number of different reasons. And um, he got uh, put in the firing line, as it were. Um, and, it, and he took to it incredibly well. Um, you know, very quick learner, very hardworking. Um, and, and the thing with, thing with Alistair, I guess, where, where me and him really, um, you know, um, got together on really was that, I, he was um, someone who's got really, really, oh, he's a very solid defender. I, I'm sure you've seen that and, you know, and, and smells danger and, and you know, he's a very good 1v1 defender and, and also um, you know, just a good all-round fit, can play centre-half, right-back, wing-back. So he's very good at that. But moving forward, you know, we wanted to try and help him create a bit of a weapon and, um, and his right foot crosses you know, were was something that, that he really took to very, very quickly. And I'm hoping, I've not seen much footage itself, but I'm hoping that he's really showing that, that his right foot crossing ability is actually very good. And um, so that, that gave him that weapon where, you know, a lot of players, it makes him stand out from others. And, um, you know, I think that's what got him into the, the Canadian national team on his debut or second game, he put in a great cross to the far post for the forward to, to score. And I think that really helped him claim his place in um in 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 that in that Canadian squad. So that that really has been, you know, a little intro of what it was what when Alistair first came that he um did well, took his chance, but then really got to work on trying to to get better and, and make this weapon of a crossing more effective. Yeah, we were speaking actually not long after a recent match the first team had, which was a, a victory away to Hearts, where we got a, ch a chance to see that, where Alistair Johnson puts a ball in from the right and Kyogo, our striker, nips in with a little back heel to, to flick it into the back of the net. So clearly that work back then is, is working now. But Steve, I'm interested in what you saw in Alistair then in those early days in the college system to make you as a coaching staff go this is a guy we want to pick in the draft because you have so many options of players to choose from. Yeah, well, I'd love to take the credit for that, but sadly I can't because um, I was over in England when they were deciding on who the college draft were. So, you know, that that goes to to um, Mike Jacobs, our general manager, and uh, and Gary Smith, of course, who, who is the head coach. So, you know, they, they will be the ones who were more behind, you know, the recruitment of Alistair. But... But once he arrived here, um, you know, that's really where, you know, mine and Alistair's story really kicks off. I mean, I, I you know, it, this this whole thing of crossing, um, you know, is something I don't think people work on enough. Um, you know, the little the little little details that make all the difference. You know, I, I you know, to give you an example, I, I guess many years ago when I was at Wickham Wanderers and as a non-league player, you know, we obviously... Martin O'Neill got the job and obviously he 
came with him was John Robertson and Steve Walford. Now, John Robertson, and, and you know, was one of the greatest wingers we've we've seen in in England, and uh, well, you know, and obviously Scotland as well. And of um, and of course, Steve Walford was a was an excellent fullback in his own right as well. And and they helped me with my crossing, and they they gave me some little details. Then they were like light bulb moments for me, you know, where I just thought, wow, yeah, that will make a big difference to my crossing. And then it was down to me to go out and practice it. So that's what really happened. I'm I'm hoping that happened with um, with Alistair with those, those little bits of nuggets, the um, little bits of information were passed on to him, and um, you know, and and I think that made a difference to him. And and he he you know uh, you know obviously we had to go through this COVID period. I, on my phone now, I've got loads and loads of videos still now of him sending me down a local park on his own crossing balls. Then we come back critiquing and um, offering up little bits of advice. And so that was a really good, um, um, you know, uh, adventure that we went on really to try and improve his crossing. And, and you know, and, and I felt through his real hard work and endeavours that, you know, he's now getting the rewards that he, he deserves. He is absolutely taken to Celtic like a duck to water, particularly with the system that our manager plays, Ange Postacoglu, it's, it's very different for fullbacks having to play inside, coming into midfield. And he has just absolutely excelled at it. But I'm interested to know during that time that you worked with him, did you always see him making that development forward into a club like Celtic? And you mentioned a little story there about training in a park. I don't know if there's anything else that you can tell us that maybe people don't know about Alistair. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I think the the whole telling you about down the park. I mean, obviously, it was it was extreme because of the way COVID changed everything. But you know, I, I'm sure there'd be plenty of players who didn't do the work, you know, and and COVID was just a period where you know they sat at home and did nothing. I'm sure there's plenty of those who were around. Um, but Alistair, you know, had that burning desire to to achieve, try and become as good as he could be. You know, go and obviously wanted to play for us, wanted to get in the first team first and foremost at Nashville, which was no mean feat. But then from there, you know, once he got into the Canadian national team and, and was around some of the fabulous players that they have, you know, Alfonso Davies and that, I think his, maybe his head was turned a little bit at the prospect of potentially playing in Europe one day and, um, and wanted to sample that. And, you know, and, and in fairness to him, he had tunnel vision on that. You know, he, he, was, he, he had a, a clear pathway in his own mind. And no doubt, you know, the, the Canadian national team World Cup, you know, put him on a, a platform of exposure that, 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 you know, helped him no end. Um, but of course, there's a lot of hard work that needs to go in there before, before any of that happens. He doesn't just drift into a national team like Canada with, with you know, the, the nucleus of players that they have. So there was a lot of hard work, and I guess that's really what I'm trying to emphasize is that, you know, you know, he's a very, very good all-round player, very decent, and I think around better players, of course, you never know, but it sounds like he's then gone, gone to that next level as well. But but crossing is, is something that I hope he continues to work on because we worked on it religiously before every morning, before every training session, he was out early, crossing balls, you know, videoing all his crossing, going through the little techniques and all the little details. Because I do think that, you know, too many too many players hit the first defender when they cross um, and then don't actually think about reasons why, you know, why why they did that. And, and you know, that was something that we tried to install in Alistair, say, look, you know, let, let's 
let's try and work out exactly what's going on here. Let's get a little formula going of, of what you need to do every time you, you cross a ball, almost like an autopilot. You know, Alice is not really one who's going to take a player on, but if you give him time, and very similar to David Beckham, and don't get me wrong, you know, David Beckham was, you know, a fabulous world-class player. I'm not saying that, but David Beckham wasn't great at beating players either. But if you gave him time and he, he had a chance to cross, then he almost went into a little bit of an autopilot, a little, um, if you watched him cross, there was a little pattern of things he did. And um, that's what we saw in Alistair as, as, as things developed and he got more and more confident that whenever he had the time, it was almost like a chain of events would unfold that we worked in training. And I guess that's what you see, you, you try and offer the advice, they practice it, you know, if they meet you halfway and do the work, and Alistair did out in the morning, practicing it, practicing it, nailing down the technique, railing down, you know, the little formula, the little details. And then eventually you'd start seeing it in games. And, and I think we see in Alistair, he's such a quick learner that it, it was he was doing it in games far quicker than most. So, you know, this this um, little period of time where he's gone from strength to strength and found himself at a massive club like Celtic, um, I, I guess we shouldn't be that surprised. Superb, yeah. And now, Steve, we need to get into to your career, but just before we do, just the last one on Alistair, are you two still in contact with one another? Or are you sharing Celtic stories between each other? <laughs> no, I, when I heard he was coming to Celtic, you know, um, obviously I texted him straight away. I was like, wow, you know, that, that's incredible. Really pleased for you. Um, and, and he actually texted back and said, yeah, I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm watching the game. So uh, I uh, I got wind of it fairly late, but I, I listen. I, I I left him alone. He's you know he's he's um, obviously loads going on, and um, I'm sure he don't want to hear from me too much. But he um, no, I, I, every now and then I, I, I reach out to him and, and congratulate him, or, or uh, you know I, I, I have to have a little look at some of his crosses just to make sure he's still still got the the action right. Otherwise, I'll be giving him some stick, but. Um, no, I'm really, really pleased for him. He's actually a really great lad. And he's, his family is as well. I, I used to speak to his dad fairly regularly. And, um, you know, great, great people. They must be must be thrilled. Yeah, always good to hear from another former Celtic player about their time at the club and how much they enjoyed it. And it's really interesting to hear his thoughts on Alistair Johnson there. It's someone, the, the two of them got on really well, Paul, when, when they worked together and... Uh, he had a lot of really nice remarks about Alistair, a lot of really interesting stories as well, which you would have heard there, uh, talking about basically just how much Alistair Johnson has worked for the position he's in at this moment in time, talking about how during COVID and lockdowns where people were stuck inside and, and not getting to, to go out to train too much, but Johnson was always, didn't matter where he was, he was like out in public parks and he was asking Steve Guppy, he was basically talking about how uh, he's learned a lot of his crossing from Steve Guppy because he was a, a brilliant crosser of the ball and we're seeing a lot of that now at Celtic and it's through his own work and getting out and not, not mattering what is uh, in front of him, putting in so much work for it. So always good to, to hear from Steve. And uh, yeah, he's a player that's for Celtic, obviously didn't probably achieve everything he wanted to in terms of his own individual accolades but he was an important player and an important team he had an important role didn't he yeah and i think if you look if you look back at that team i mean it was so hard for anyone to to get in if he was he he was wanting on that left side he had to displace alan thompson more often than mm -hmm. not who 
you know, had a brilliant uh, period of time in his career uh, with us there. So, but I think he was a player that obviously Martin had only known from Leicester, so he trusted him as well. And then subsequently, I think he was part of the the island coaching setup with with Roy Keane, Martin O'Neill. But I think that you know the you know we were saying about Alistair Johnson and working with Steve Guppy. I think it's worth always remembering that the you know all the guys who have got to this level at Celtic and you know the, what they're achieving in their career in terms of success, etc. That never comes overnight. That behind that there's years and years and years of hard work, ups and downs, and just having that the right mentality to keep working hard and regardless of any setbacks to get to where you want to be in it. I think it's when you you know when you hear that, that's when you kind of appreciate just how much these guys have put in and what they've sacrificed in order to, to be living the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's look ahead now to the women's team's game this weekend. They are just in the back of an international break, so they didn't have a game in the weekend there. But this weekend... It's a massive one, isn't it? Playing Glasgow City. We currently sit second in the league. We're eight points behind Glasgow City. So you probably are looking at this one, Paul, and thinking if we want to win the league, this is a game we're probably going to have to get three points in. Yeah, and I think, I'm sure Fran Alonso and the team will be well aware of that. I think the games against Glasgow City have been really tight and they've kind of come down in favour of City this season. But, you know, I... I think if we can reduce the gap to five points, and I think there's still maybe eight games maybe yeah, right. after after that, then and we've still got to play them again, and, and there's other big games they've got to play Rangers a couple of times, then that puts a wee bit of pressure on them. I think if if they were to go eleven points clear, then it just it, it relaxes them a wee bit because then they obviously they've been over the course many times before that they'll probably think right we can see this one out. So a massive game, and, and we've seen from uh, the Celtic team that they they are capable of beating Glasgow City and they're capable of rising to the occasion and it's a, it's just a massive game and obviously we've got City in the, the semi-final of the Scottish Cup at Hamden coming up as well which I think we can just set aside that's going to be an amazing occasion for the team as well um, but if we could get the three points in, in Sunday that would be a massive result It's massive in the hunt for the league title um, but also even if we don't manage to win the league this season, it's still really important to finish in second place because with that, you get the chance to then go into the Champions League next season, which we didn't have this year because we finished third in the last campaign. So if we can get three points here, that would be huge because Rangers are still going to have to play Glasgow City another two times, I think. I don't think they've played each other in a split yet. So there's definitely going to be points dropped by one of those teams on two occasions so it's it's going to be massive and as you said it then leads up to a really big week the following week as well because we play Hearts away and then we play Glasgow City in the cup as well so if you could get one over Glasgow City on Sunday then that might just help the team for that that big week. Yeah and I mean I think Rangers will be looking at that game this weekend I think that they've they've already admitted the leagues beyond them so they'll be hoping that Glasgow City can do them a favour and it reduces the gap because as you say, if the teams can't win, they want to get in those top two positions for Europe. As I say, I think the cup game just stands alone for a whole variety of reasons. You know, there's maybe a wee edge because Glasgow City, we beat them in the final with 10 players, 3-2 after extra time last season at Tynecastle. But the fact is, 
the, the game's going to be at Hamden for the first time, which is a, a, a big step forward in terms of the women's game and the profile of the, of the women's football in Scotland. So both teams will be looking forward to the occasion. You know, hopefully there's a really good crowd there as well. Um, but uh, you know, maybe just in the back of of our players' heads, if we can get the the victory next weekend, then we're thinking, right, well, let's let's go and do it again. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. I imagine we'll probably we'll touch on that more next week. But the chance to play semi-final at Hamden Park, and then if you get the chance to play in the final again at Hamden, probably really important. You would say, or in my opinion, any important for the women's game in general that we're given the women that equal access to the way that the, the men do and that opportunity that when you get to a semi-final of the Scottish Cup, you know you're going to be playing at the National Stadium and at Hampden Park and allowing them the opportunity to to get more experience of playing there because there'll be players in the Celtic team that have ambitions of them going on to play for Scotland and to get more familiarity with the stadium will help in that, hopefully, in the future. Um, so yeah, that will be an exciting week, but one we'll probably touch upon next week and hopefully do so in the back of a victory against Glasgow City. Um, for the B team, they were in action at the weekend and they got a 1-0 win against away to Caledonian Braves. Uh, Adam Brooks got the goal. They bounced back from a, a draw against Dalbeti Star in the midweek mid following. And this week they're playing East Stirlingshire, which is their last game in the Lowland League. It's just... Uh, it's mad to think that. Obviously, they've, they've played them out of games, but it's just weird to see a, a season finish so early. Yeah, I think obviously because the other two seasons are, are continuing to go. It was interesting, the, the post-match comments of Steve McManus after that game on uh, the weekend, that the, the previous midweek, I think we'd been beating Dalbiti Star 2-0 and, and controlling it. It was a kind of 10-minute period where they scored twice. And mm -hmm. he said it was as disappointing, I think, as, as they'd felt all season in terms of you know, the position they were in in the game and, you know, letting that two-goal lead slip. And again, as part of it, we, we spoke about it plenty of times of this season, you know, there's so many different objectives for the young players, but one of them, I think, that the coaches are always looking is that how do they respond to setbacks? And I think that's what he was, you know, both Stephen and Darren were looking for was that response. I think we missed a penalty before we scored the penalty as well and, you know, deserved to win. So I think they were pleased, the fact that, you know, we, we returned to one in ways it was important for the, the players. But um, strange, uh, that, as you say, that it's coming. The season's coming to an end. I think Spartans had won at the weekend, so they're they're going to be the team, regardless of whether they end up winning the league. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the team that's going to progress into the the playoffs from the Lowland League. I think they play the. I'm not sure if it's the winners of the Highland League. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's a big step for them. We saw Body Rig Rose progressing from the Lowland League into. League Two last season, um, but you know the, the young it's a young Celtic side. They've done really well this season. And what that will hopefully give the B team players an opportunity is to spend the next six weeks or so just hammering in the door of the the first team and trying to get involved in more first team training. We're seeing that. Yeah, well, we saw Rokovata on the bench again for the the game at the weekend, um, and I'm sure like. I mean, apart from the fact that like, as every Celtic fan they'd have been hoping we would have been uh, well ahead and then there might have been a wee chance he might have got yeah. a wee cameo but I think the fact that again as an experience for just a you know a, a teenager to be in and around the first team for such a big game to, to see I think the learning experience of that I've seen how these players uh, you know prepare before the game for that and what's involved I think is invaluable and 
you know, I think, as you say, there'll be a few of them that will be hoping over the next five, six weeks. Quite a few of them are training with the first team that maybe one or two more might get their chance. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's finish off now, Paul, on our predictions, um, which you will be happy to know last week uh, you scored six points because you got the Aberdeen Kilmarnock score correct, so you got three points for that. Uh, and then you also got three other results correct. And I got four results correct uh, and no actual right scores. So I got four points. So you beat me by two points last week. Um, this week, we've got another seven fixtures. We're still actually waiting for, not got a fan yet to, to come on and play. So we'll get our predictions and the floor is open to anyone that wants to play along to get in touch. Um, and you can at least anybody who takes part knows that they'll not finish last because you're taking part. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> just the same case every single week. Although the week before, I did finish on top out of the myself, uh, yourself, and the fan that were playing mud. But I think that probably is like the only time this calendar year that's happened, um, and it's really, really making me start to question. My knowledge in football. It's just as well we're not allowed to bet in football, no? otherwise you'd be... Oh, I'd be skint. I know, I'd need to remortgage the flat. I'd be asking mum and dad for a loan. Uh, yeah, I thought I had a... I, I came into it thinking I had a half-decent knowledge of football, I could tell you about a lot of stuff. Um, you might then, you might do it. I might just be better at guessing than you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I, I've lost all faith in myself anyway. Um, let's run through these seven fixtures then. Um... Let's start off with this one. Friday night in the Premiership, we've got Ross County against Aberdeen. I'm going to go for Aberdeen to win that one 2-1. I think Barry Robson has done an exceptional job there. Mm -hmm. I, I would be, I'd be stunned if he's not appointed manager full-time. He's got the job to end the season, but if they won their last five, maybe five or six games, are now third in the table, looking really strong to finish third. Um, yeah, I've been really impressed with the way... And he's probably just, you know the way he was as a player here, he's probably just got back down to some basic stuff of what he's expecting his players to do. So, Ross County can be a tough fixture, as we know, but I think Aberdeen will win that one 2-1. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I'm in two minds. I'm obviously leaning towards Aberdeen in terms of form. Uh, but Ross County, who did they play at the weekend? Their game's just completely escaped me now. Um they beat St Johnson, didn't they? Two nil away from home. Uh, but they are picking up a little bit more form, Ross County. I thought against us last the weekend before last, um, we probably again weren't at like our scintillating best. But I think part of that is down to the way that Ross County has tried to stop us. So I will go for a draw. I'll go for a draw. Uh, I'll go for one each in that one. Um, Travelling up to thing more on a Friday night, maybe it might just take it out after the but uh, but we'll see. Um, Saturday lunchtime, it's the Edinburgh Derby, Hibs against Hearts. As I know it's hard to know how Hearts are going to respond mm. to Robbie Nielsen having been sacked, Stephen Naismith coming in, um, and they do have generally a, a decent record in the, the Edinburgh Derby, Hibs yeah, yeah. lost at the weekend against the United, so... Mm -hmm. Two defeats in a row, they lost to Motherwell at home the weekend before as well. I'm going to go for two each, actually, I think, just because it's at Easter Road. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for a Hibs victory in that one. I think they might just win it 1-0 there. I don't know. I don't even... 
I mean, it's not a, it's a game that's you know, it's exciting because it's a derby, but in terms of the way that both teams are playing at the moment and the form that both of them are in, you're not really looking at it and going, oh, that's going to be a, a real ding-dong, but I don't know. Uh, I'll go Hibs 1-0 with that one. I don't think it'll be tuned in, though, by the way I'm talking about it there. It certainly doesn't look as if you're that interested. No, no. <laughs> uh, another game on Saturday in Premiership is Motherwell against Dundee United, two teams that both won at the weekend. Big win for Dundee United. Yeah, I mean, that was a massive win because I think if they'd lost that, you know, you could start to see the you know insurmountable gap, mm-hmm. but I think Motherwell, particularly at home, again, uh, they've they've kind of really steadied the ship. Um, I'm going to go for three one to Motherwell. Mm-hmm. Van Veen's firing. He's scored twenty two goals this season. He's a, he's a good striker. Um, he's he's always been a good striker for for yeah. Motherwell. Actually, I you know, I, I I quite like him when he's and he's a he's always a. He's quite. He's got a physical presence as well, but I think good he's touch. got. A, yeah, he's got a really good touch. So, three-one uh, Van Veen hat trick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for two-nil Motherwell in that one. Uh, a game down from England. Uh, I thought one of the interesting ones was Chelsea against Brighton. It's not the Green Potter derby anymore. But no. I uh, thought Brighton were really. Oh, I mean, God. I think they'd be. They, they, you know, in terms of apologies from the uh, the Premier League VAR. I think that's third third time this season they've had to be, yeah. you know, which is you really start to have to question that. If you're Brighton, you have to think well, once is fine, but if it's three times, I think they'll beat Chelsea. I think Chelsea are there's just a, there's a it's just a chaotic club at the moment in terms of obviously Frank Lampard's come in to try and again just steady the ship to the end of the season, but it's the, it's just the way that they amassed players with no rhyme or, or reason. And I think Brighton are a really good football team. I think they'll be smarting from their defeat the weekend. I think they'll win that one, two one. If Brighton do a, a club podcast, I'm sure it'll just be an hour of them lambasting VAR and referees' decisions because they had two goals ruled out, which were for handballs. Which maybe the first one, it's hard to tell though. Like if it hits there or there, and then the other one, his arms there and it smashes off, and then the penalties. I think awarded I mean god um, but yeah I'm going to go for Brighton and that one as well I'm going to go for what did you say 2-1 two, 2-1 two, to Brighton 2-1 for Brighton I'll go I'll go 3-1 to Brighton yeah. um, and then rounding off the Celtic games we've got Celtic B against East Stirlingshire I think they're going to sign off the season with a, an impressive 4-0 victory I was going to say that so, so I'll, I'll go I'll go, go, go 5-0 okay yeah <laughs> um then on Sunday lunchtime, the first team away to Kilmarnock. Again, just given what we're seeing earlier on, I think that you know none of the players will will not be in their heads as to where they're playing in the surface. So three 0 You know, I'm going to go for two 0 there. And then last but not least is Glasgow City against Celtic Women. That's a tough, tough one. I think. The last one they edged at one 0 I think we're going to edge it one 0 Another yeah. uh, late uh, Caitlin Hayes heroic. Abby Brown. Right. <laughs> I think she's. I think she's such a big game player um, and such a you know not, not the captain but one of the leaders in the team. I think she's been so impressive this mm-hmm. season. So yeah, last five minutes pops up header back in the net one 0 Get your money on that. Uh, I am going to go. I know our defensive record is the best in the league this season but Glasgow City do have a lot of threats going forward so I think they might 
may score. So I'm going to go for 2-1 to Celtic there. And then just let that league title race hot up for the last seven games or so. Uh, that's everything for this week's Celtic View podcast. I do hope you enjoyed. Um, make sure you like and subscribe to Celtic View on Twitter and also the Celtic View podcast channels, which you can get everywhere in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify. And also we are on YouTube. So make sure you liked and subscribed and follow on all of those channels we'll be back again next week in the meantime we'll also be bringing you that full interview with steve guppy later in the week so stay tuned for that but from us enjoy the game against Kilmarnock on sunday or if you're at the women's game or if you're at the b team enjoy all of the celtic action this weekend and do join us again next week bye for now mm-hmm.